Hello and welcome to episode 211 of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. My name's Aaron and each week I have the pleasure of talking about movies and films with my best buddy James. The pleasure is mine, sir. The pleasure is mine, sir. Uh, okay, all right. All right. <laughs> and this week is no exception as we go back to 1994 to talk about a movie that rains so much, rumour has it, it's still raining. <laughs> And that is The Crow. I don't think it was the birthplace of the Mariner from what world. This is where he got his guilt. <laughs> this is where it started. The ice caps didn't melt. It just never stopped pissing raining in this place. It can't rain all the time, <laughs> apart from in The Crow, which is ironic because that is a movie line. Does, it doesn't rain all the time. It fucking does. You're not seeing this film. Anyway, great film. Yeah. Maybe gonna go, spoilers. We're going to go back to a film that I loved growing up, a film. It was called Classic. It was an instant, like, it was a film that, um, you know, was bloody and violent and gothic and dark and fantasy and supernatural and superhero and it had every, every element to it. It was a film way before its time as well, that brooding kind of revenge taking. Batman wasn't taking revenge, Superman wasn't taking revenge and that was it. Mm. That was the limit. You know, maybe... Charles Bronson was. Yeah, but he... <laughs> I wish I was dead. <laughs> But uh, yeah, the crow. The crow was a you know was a, one of the movies that set a bar, and it, and it you know obviously surrounded by tragedy, which no doubt we're going to discuss. And then, like we do with these episodes where we go back and revisit a classic movie, we're going to recast. We're going to look at potential sequels. Now, keen-eyed listeners might think, well, you didn't do that for Waterworld, but you know that was Waterworld. Can I just say something? There's been something I've been meaning to bring up since we did an episode where we talked about Prey. And you and I both loved Prey and we thought it was brilliant. The director of that is making a TV series for the Waterworld franchise. Oh my God. I know. But but don't you, weirdly, seeing Prey makes me think, say fans for this absolute dog shit intellectual property that I do not want to see a TV series based on. Yeah, I hope Kevin Costner's not in it. Or yeah, like, God, yeah. nowhere near it. Or it has nothing to do <laughs> with it. Just a background character in a franchase that he, he stars in. Just in the back, you just see someone's like, ah, oh, he's been down there a long time. Wink to the audience. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's, he's Waterworld. It's boring. People That's are, the thing. It's just dull. People are screaming out for this, though. Oh, yeah. 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 The fact that I had it and forgot to tell you this information. <laughs> I don't know. What world do we live in? But that actually, I suppose, with so many streaming services and so much... You know, why not? Why not throw another log on the fire? Just, I enjoyed that. Your little fun that you slipped in there. <laughs> I, 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 do you know what? And I probably will watch it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> like the whore I am. Have you watched House Dragons yet? I have watched House of Dragons. I, I wanted to let them build up. That's why I said on this episode, turns out I'm full of shit. Mm. Liked it. I like, like it's a slow burn. It's gone back to the roots of what it made good. You get the sense it's going to be political intrigue, not people bashing each other. Do you think that Matt Smith, who I was really looking forward to, a bit lost in the shuffle? Paddy nice. Constantine, to me, was was MVP. I really liked him. Uh, the young child actresses, actually, you know, I think the series, though, is going to do a fast forward because they're not the stars I saw in the trailers or when I was reading up on it. So I do think there's going to be a bit of a time jump in the next few episodes, which is going to disappoint me because I think they're doing a really good job. That's a big thing, isn't it, in TV shows? Like yeah. When they, they don't tell you, Witcher's done it, you know, Westworld did it, when they don't tell you you're watching two timelines. Yeah. And then they reveal normally halfway through the series or in the last episode. And mm. I think they flog that horse now. I think there's only so many times you can do that in a TV show. I still think the best one was done was Westworld because I didn't see it coming. I, you and I had this discussion when it was coming up and we weren't going to spoil it. Just guess one day we talk about it. But you had the big reveal in your head mm. and I was like, you're full of shit, Aaron. It doesn't make any sense. And it turns out I was full of the poo. That was a good, that was, <laughs> a good first season. That. Yeah, it was, it was a good first season. She-Hulk? No. Yeah, I've I, I watched the first one, talked about it last week. I haven't seen the second one yet. <clears throat> I will watch that at some point. 
But no, I've been a, it's been a real uh, quiet week for film in the household, other than obviously The Crow. Then yes. I made the mistake of starting uh, The Crow 2, City of Angels. I, do you want, mate? Well done. Good, well done. Mm. It, it, that's the good sequel. <laughs> no, it ain't. <laughs> and I'll tell you what was surprising. Iggy Pop's in that movie. And Tom Jane. <laughs> yeah, Iggy Pop was supposed to be in this one. In the original, in the original, one, but they couldn't, they couldn't get it round. You can tell exactly if you think about it. You know exactly which character was. He's supposed to be fun boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go through the crow then. If you downloaded this episode it's your first time, thank you so much. Leave a review, leave a like, subscribe. You get a new episode each and every week. And as I've said, we've done everything from Waterworld to Mad Max, from director specials to Christmas and Halloween. You know, we leave no stone unturned on the quest to find the greatest movies of all time. And maybe The Crow is one of them. At the end of the show, we may put it in our vault, the safe haven for the greatest movies of all time. Uh, so The Crow, 1994. Can you remember the first time you watched it? I had it on VHS. Oh, I can't remember that. I think it was like Channel 4, late at night. My dad was like, you should watch this. It's a good film. But I didn't think it had me. But that's because it was brooding. It was dark. I was a, I was a youngster. I wanted to watch, I don't know. Toy Story the next year. <laughs> I obviously so. didn't watch it in 94, but mm. I did watch it. I would have been, I would have thought early teens, so maybe, maybe 2000s, 99 time. I think I was quite late watching it because my son is, I knew of The Crow and it's, and we'll address it now, the tragedy, obviously Eric Devon was portrayed by Brandon Lee, the child, uh, the child of Bruce Lee. Big things, had a great career. You see this film, you see his charisma, how he could captivate an audience. Mm. It tragically died on set. A, it's weird that it's how many years ago and they're the same thing happened not that long ago. Don't use real guns in your fucking show. It's, it's not that difficult, is it? Yeah, I mean, we can go into that now. I mean, if we're going to go into it. So behind the scenes, the prop department changed. So they were using... Actually, while we're on this, this was the first time in my young, budding, you know, film enthusiastic life that I learned that films weren't shot chronologically. And I know yes. that sounds really odd, no, but when I'm you're like you. a 10-year-old, yeah. you know, you'd, you'd think that movie, you know, the first scene you shoot is scene one and you and you take that character, you take that story through its sequence and then you all end in the final scene, like a TV show would, you know, filming in chronological order. Wouldn't it make more scene. sense? It makes more sense. However, it's basically, it spends more money, doesn't it? Because you do the less scenes, you do the scenes where everyone needs to be together first because then you can split off and you can do yeah, the it's and more... It, and it's things like having locations for shoots, it's having sets, because obviously multiple films have been shot at any one time, so it's about having time on a lot to actually film it. I'm with you there. But, I, I, but there are films that have been, and you know there, there are films that are shot chronologically, because the actor, the director, or the, or the uh, theme of the movie warrants that. But this was the first time where, after learning that he died, I think after the movie, like, I think my dad or someone had mentioned, like, oh, yeah, he, he died tragically. And I was like, well, how? He's at the end of the movie. Yeah. And, and it was only then that you learn, oh, okay. So they <laughs> shot it, the, the, what is the death scene? Um, so, you know, we'll get into the storyline in a few moments, but the Eric Draven character does die to be resurrected as the crow to take vengeance on those that killed him and his fiance. What happened was that the prop department changed out from dummy rounds so they were they were filming a scene where they were using dummy rounds they were then going to change them to blanks for the execution scene but then there's a, a faulty dummy round had been fired and got lodged in the barrel of the gun mm. and then what uh, it, which is a dangerous condition a misfiring condition called a squib load um, and what the prop department should have done was check the barrel was empty before putting in the different rounds which were the blanks because then what would happen was uh, actor Michael Massey then fired the gun and then it propelled the lodged section of the bullet that was in the barrel forward into uh, Brandon Lee, into his abdomen. It originally fell over and everyone thought it was just method acting and was, you know, way after they said caught. And it was only when someone went over to him and realised he was actually bleeding and unconscious. 
he passed away shortly afterwards. Um, and he was 28 years old. So I heard that first. I was like, I don't want to watch this film. There's, you heard about the curse. I mean, the actor that accidentally, you know, the tragic position of shooting him. Um, I only ever known from season one twenty four. Yeah, and, uh, uh, he took a year off acting, and basically he died of cancer not that long ago. And the last interview he said, he was like, he, they they were talking. He says, I think about it every day. It's mm-hmm. like it will always haunt me. I shot a friend of mine, and he's just like, fuck. Yeah. Like, after all that time, everything you've been through, you still haunt you. It was like shit the bed. Mm. So it was a horrible thing. But <clears throat> you know, thematically, there's no reason to do it. There really is no reason to do it. What, not use... Not really, yeah. Yeah, there's some method actors, aren't there, that want the real gun, <clears throat> they want the weight of a real gun. And nowadays it's, they obviously use a lot of plastic guns and replicas, but... It's still also, happening. It's also <laughs> the, the fear of continuity of things like, because cameras are so detailed now and close-ups, you can see, you know, replicas versus real and all that kind of stuff. I mean... That's a small hill to down, and if you're in a cinema yeah. and you're like, "Oh, that gun looks fake," <laughs> like, "Oh, oh, what you mean? It's not real? You mean fucking Keanu Reeves isn't firing it? You know, what? And killing a hundred people in this movie?" So, so unfortunately, and then, and then it became a curse. Everyone was talking about the curse of the Crow movie. I didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to watch this film where, and because you're a child as well, and everyone starts talking about it. it's like his death scene. That's the real scene. You know, you heard that mm. sort of shit. That that unbelievable crap. That's not real in the slightest. We don't live in that world where they yeah. do. But that's not what you got told as a kid. You're like, oh my God, when he dies, and that's his actual death. And you're like, oh, right, I don't want to see this horror movie. Channel 4 finally sat down when someone said, you should watch it. Mm. And I was older than I had. I was like 15 by the time I actually finally got to see Crow for the first time. Mm. Now, however, I'm going to tell you this story. I watched The Crow, loved it so much, I went out and bought the box set of all The Crow films. Oh dear. That was a mistake. <laughs> oh, dear. So, do you know what? If I was a betting man, <clears throat> yeah. I would have thought that story that you just told right now would have gone, no, I didn't watch The Crow, never watched The Crow. <laughs> But then I, I love wrestling and Sting was awesome and Sting is Sting, clearly a, a rip-off. A rip-off. <laughs> Definitely and rip-off. that caused me to want to go back and watch the movie. <laughs> and I thought that was how your story was going to end. Because wrestling is at the root of everything. Yes, you know? yeah, it is, yeah. Um, it's funny you should mention that because I, I, was, I was watching a documentary right, about <laughs> Woodstock 99 this oh, week. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's actually a really good documentary. really loved it. However... The outcome is crap. I was trying to explain to Esther and I were having a debate about what caused it because the documentary heavily leans on maybe it's the fans because they liked Fred Durst and Fred Durst wound them up. I was like, yeah, but they booked Fred Durst, so you knew that Link, uh, uh, Limp Biscuit would wind up the crowd to the point that they'd have a bit of a shuffle, right? So I was like, it's not really his fault for being well, him. Well, then it, then it, it kind of is because <laughs> like, it is. Yeah, 69 was all about love, peace, and that. And yeah, then, but then, that's and then not... he comes out and in the first word he says, fuck peace, and he came out of a giant toilet. No, or maybe, a, yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it's like I was trying to explain the time of 99 and I did use wrestling. I said, you got to remember in 99, wrestling was really popular and the most popular wrestler on the planet was Stone Cold Steve Austin who rebelled against corporate America. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. Oh, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That's twice I've used wrestling to explain a movie to someone. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think um, just, just on, on, on his tragic death as well, obviously the film is then de- later dedicated to him. Um, and the film was completed. There were eight scenes left to film, so they used stand-ins and visual effects. Um, and then the movie was actually dropped by Paramount, who were going to distribute the movie. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, So the film was made by Dimensions Pictures. It was going to be distributed by Paramount, and then Miramax picked it up. Good old, good old Weinstein <laughs> <laughs> picked it up. He heard it? about all this money. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> yeah. sniff it, mate. Um, if there's someone to take advantage of a tragic situation, I, you know what? I didn't think it would be I, Weinstein. I <laughs> So The Crow is a dark, supernatural fantasy, which is part superhero, part revenge thriller, based on the comic series by James O'Barr. The story follows Eric Draven, who, along with his fiance, are murdered the night before their wedding. 
A year later, Eric is resurrected to avenge the, their deaths, uh, killing off the gang and the criminals responsible. Ooh. Um, the uh, writer of this, James O'Barr, who wrote the original graphic novels, suffered, lost himself, lost his fiance, yeah. uh, joined the Marines, and then used this as kind of like his therapy and his... Young age, well, he was only 18, wasn't he, when that happened? Yeah, that's tragically young, yeah. Um, but kind of created this figure. And the comic, so the, the original inception of The Crow in uh, comic and in literature is very much the same, although instead of in a high-rise building, gunned down on the side of the road, and I think he dies, in, uh, she dies instantly, and he dies 24 hours later in the coma, which they kind of switch around in, in this movie. Um, it's directed at the time by newcomer Alex Proros, who directed I, Robot. And Gods of Egypt, so you can't win them all. <laughs> Two out of three is not bad. <laughs> <laughs> His filmography is really short as well. It's only like six movies. You know just films he believes in? The Crow and <laughs> the Gods, Gods of, of Egypt. <laughs> Gods of Egypt, It's written by David uh, J. Shaw and John Shirley. The film <clears> was released to uh, box office and critical success. It was a $23 million budget, making $94 million after its release. So very, very um, successful after its release. It was praised for its dark tones. It's visuals and it's action revenge plot. And the film's cinematographer, Darius Wolski, uh, was particularly praised. He would later go on to uh, do the choreography for the Paris of the Caribbean franchise, The Last Jewel, The Martian, worked with some great directors um, you know, and filmmakers. The film stars Brandon Lee as Eric Draven, The Crow, but it also has Rochelle Davis, Ernie Hudson, and Michael Wincott. Oh, and Tony Todd. Which- yeah. I haven't seen this. I I haven't seen this movie probably for a good ten years. I'll say I was. I'll say maybe even more than that. Yeah. But I knew everything. I knew every scene. I'd seen it that many times as a kid. Rewatching it this week, I, I knew everything everyone was going to say just before they said it. Every scene as it was playing out, I was like, "This is ingrained in me. This is like when, I know this film." When you saw a character with some sunglasses, you're like, "Who's that?" And but yeah, and I was <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, Tony Todd. He's fucking tall." <laughs> There's a bit. There's a scene where he's next to T Bird, and they either made T Bird go on his knees, or Tony Todd was wearing some high heels. Because I was like, "Blood massive." Glad to think he was jumping. <laughs> Just um, it's also good to see uh, Michael Wincott in the uh, because obviously maybe most noticeably this in Alien Resurrection. Surely, yes. Oh, I'd like to point out that if for a while you forget about this. He was the villain. Like nowadays, mm. everyone's like, "Oh, it's." It's got to be, I don't know, an English actor. But no, for a long time, it was Michael Wigot. Who, Who's not doing anything right now? He's in Nope. Sorry? He's in Nope. Oh, is he? I haven't seen Nope. Yeah, John nah. Nope. tomorrow, yeah. He's oh. in, yeah. But then you forgot the biggest one. I, re- I really love him against, I think, who were the two biggest villains in the 90s? I don't know. Um, maybe a little unknown actor who might have played, you know, opposite in Die Hard. And this guy, push them together. They're both, um, that's barely words. I didn't say any sentences then. I, I, still not any... I've forgotten his name. The villain who plays Hans Gruber. Yeah. And Mike Wilcott are in a film together opposite everyone's favourite. Oh, oh, right, okay, right. You're talking about Prince of Thieves. Prince of thank you. I couldn't remember like three of the things. It was a terrible sentence. (laughs) I was begging for some help with my eyes then. Anyway, I was like, this. This is brilliant. I love Michael Wincott. I love his voice. It's so gravelly. He literally looks like he tarmacs his throat every day. Yeah, he has. Yeah, I mean, obviously, along came a spider. Yeah, which is weird because he's not a villain. <laughs> well, well, he, he is, is. <laughs> but he's not the biggest not the villain. villain. But Monica Porter was by the end of that movie. Yeah, but, and also they completely changed their books. Like he, because he played Gary Sonji. It was James, James Sonji on the James Patterson story, and he didn't die till book four. James, and they killed him off halfway through. Along came a spider, and I was a big Alex Cross reader. I know. I'm sorry. Up. I'm sorry. 
Honestly, every day I go out in the garden when everyone else is asleep and I just shake my fist at the sky. <laughs> how angry that makes me. That's how I feel about Jurassic Park Dominion. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Jurassic Park Dominion, you just dug that hole. <laughs> and every day you just keep going and digging a bit more to it. Until, yeah, until I find the point. Until it happens. <laughs> Do you find an actual dinosaur? <laughs> and apologise. Yeah. <laughs> I like it as well that you know, Esther or no one actually questions. You just, you go up in the middle of the night. She's like, where are you going? You, you know, know where you I'm know, going. You know where I'm going. Do you want to run a bath? Yes. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Really good casting. Michael Wincott, I think, is a really, really good, uh, really, really good villain. Alan Rickman as well. We never actually mentioned oh, Alan sorry, Rickman. Alan Rickman, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, that's the problem with the entire sentence. I couldn't I could remember like Michael Wincott's name. It's because it's written in front of me on my notes. I was like, he, there's an arrow. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember as well, like, because I was, I, I grew up in quite a gothic household. Like my mum was like quite like this is because this is pre emo, mm. you know. So this is this is goth rock. This, imagine if a small Fred Durst before he before he wanted to go set fire to Woodstock '99. It's watching this film. Yeah, and, and this and I remember my mum watching this movie and just being like, I know he's a villain, but he's got lovely hair. He does have lovely he's hair. Very straight. He's got a nice frilly shirt as well. He's wearing a waistcoat and he doesn't look like a tit. It, he pulls weird it off. He just comes straight off the set of Prince of Thieves slash Hamlet. I was going to say of like an 80s power ballad. <laughs> but he's very, very good, Michael. It should be more. Ernie Hudson as well. I love Ernie Hudson. And yeah. this is perfect. I imagine he got no direction. It was like, could you be Ernie? <laughs> yeah. One more Hudson, please. He, he effortlessly cool and smooth. And the sort of police officer that you're missing, because nowadays, police officers got to be like, you don't play by the rules. You got to break them or they're so by the rules. Mm. Ernie Hudson, mate, you'll break some rules, but ultimately he's got a heart of gold. He'll break some rules and some heads. Yeah, he will. But at the same time, he'll, you know, feed a street child. You know, like make sure you have a hot dog. Yeah, I'll buy. I'm buying. Yeah. Because yeah. I've got this kind of like surrogate fatherly figure now. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, yeah I do like Ernie Hudson in this. He, he's, he's the comic relief in what is otherwise a very, very dark movie. A very... Uh, revenge orientated and uh, and not really much hope in this movie. No, not at all. It's rare as well that you find a movie that where the, you know, if you're looking at the descriptive hashtags, tragedy is, the, you know, other than a Shakespearean play, which is probably what Wincott's costume design was inspired by. Yeah. And also the sword play, you know, he's not using a, a Highlander broadsword. It's very kind of period piece sword that he uses Never even thought of it like that, yeah. As well as the jewel on the top of the, Church at the end. It, it, tragedy you, is, in, is is woven through this movie. When you're watching this film, right at the bit, like at the, uh, about 20 minutes in, you know that this film is going to end in a sword fight on top of a church. <laughs> you just know it. It's just like there's, there's only you're thinking, like, how does it end? He's like, he's got to end this way. I don't know how they're going to get there, but it's going to end it's like that. Going to end that way. Um, over on top of that, you've got Bay Ling is Micah, who's the um, who's the love interest slash uh, sister. <laughs> That's what you didn't pick up the yeah, first time yeah. you watch it. I yeah. like to point out, I, th I thought she was, she's terrifying. She's just like, there's a scene which we'll talk about. We were, but her like introductions, he's fucking horrifying. He's like, oh, I want to play with her again. And he's like, oh no, I think we wore out. And you just think, oh, it's a prostitute of the three. So no, they, they've killed her. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to eat her eyes then. You're like, oh, okay, that's no, normal. Yeah, but no, they, no, they smoke her eyes, James. Oh, okay. In a, in a very weird scene. Oh, sorry, I get confused because in the fourth one, Tara Reid eats the eyes when she's trying to turn Davy Boreanaz into Satan. We're just going to rest on that. <laughs> Do you know what the worst part about that story is? 100% true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Crow sequels, like, if, 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 if no one knew, if no one knew there was a Crow sequel, it just, it was, what, those, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. There, there was, was more. three of them. There was three more and a TV show. Um, yeah. Guess what? It, it was like, what? 
Tom Jane was in the second one. Yeah. Iggy Pop was in it. Yeah. No. David Boyanis. Well, yeah, there's a fucking lot. after that, Edward Furlong, who? Can you remember Terminator 2? Yeah. Remember that young boy? <laughs> in American <gasps> History X. Kirsten Dunst and Kirsten Frank Dunst. West are in the third ones. Yeah, Frank West isn't. Yeah. I, yeah. I had to double check that. I always get him confused with Britain's favourite serial killer. So Frank West. Frank West. Definitely Frank West. Recently lost uh, Frank West. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, in this movie as well, you get the, the maybe the four. Um, you know, the four, the gang, the bullies, the, you know, you got T-Bird, Tintin, Skank. Um, I like Skank. On, and um, Fun Boy as well. I like Skank. I think that's the, the best name. Just Skank. like, because Skank as well is who I'd be. Yeah. <laughs> Skank is like the loser one. Angel David, he's like, he's like oh, I've got my big break. I'm playing Skank. <laughs> Mom, Dad, guess who got the role of Skank? <laughs> could you, could you not get T-Bird? <laughs> disapproving Dad, everyone knows that. Oh. Uh, let's go into this. So, yeah, the film is known for the tragic death of the main star, Brendan Lee, who is who is excellent in this movie. He is, There's yeah. There's no denying it. Had a big um, career ahead of him. It's very sad. Yeah, passed away just uh, eight days left into filming. Um, the film, uh, following the success, yeah, we talked about three sequels at a TV show. Hollywood has reported, oh, sorry, repeatedly have tried to reboot this. So there were rumours of a 2000 reboot before we got the sequels. Mm. So obviously the sequels were in, what were they, like, night? This was 94, was it like 96? Yeah, I think the latest one was like 2000, 2002, I think, was the last one. I think it may be later, I think it was 2006, the Briannis one, I think. (laughs) Jesus. Um, But there were talks about a reboot, uh, a soft reboot from uh, in the 2000s. And again, as as, uh, recently as 2014, 2016, there's scripts that have been floating around, some by James O'Barr, the the original creator as well. Um, Feels really guilty, doesn't he? He wants to. So I remember reading an interview where he wants to do. He wants to do another really big film because he feels so guilty cashing that check, you know, with so much tragedy to it. And he's like, he doesn't want that. Doesn't want that to be remembered like that because he. Of course, now we we could have it. So in twenty twenty three, it's looking like we are going to see the return with Bill Starsgard confirmed to play Eric Draven in the reboot. So I was thinking that's actually a really good casting, but I think they're just doing that based on a performance in it, and I just think, yeah. Yeah, bit I mean, lazy. He's uh, yeah, I mean, he's a good actor. Don't get me wrong. It's just I feel like that's weirdly. I feel that's lazy casting. Well, we're going to cast it at the end exactly. of this episode, James. So we'll see who we cast in that role. Uh, so stick around for that, um, please, please. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one way to describe the crow, it would be rainy or gothic. It's primo, dark and moody uh, story that sees one of the most badass creations go against the scummiest gang of idiots you've ever seen: Tintin, T-Bird, Skang, and Funboy. But the crow is a really thought-out uh, character, death personified. He mm. looks awesome. He does look awesome. I remember, like, I remember as a kid being like, "That's what I want to be at Halloween." The crow didn't look as cool as or that. Sting. I, I did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't have leather trousers. I didn't have a long waistcoat, a uh, long, long uh, leather coat. Joel, coming at it when you see it as a youngster, when you come out from a different perspective, you, you, it does open your eyes to like the world and certain questions because there's some of the things I've written down here, I would never thought of as when I saw it as a teenager for the first time. <laughs> Give yeah. a hint there. No, you'll find out. Oh, we'll find out. I've signposted them. <laughs> um, yeah, tragic, sarcastic, brutal, uh, immortal. These are the kind of words that you describe it. A vengeance uh, killer. That's um, also the movie is really well paced. So it doesn't have states welcome. The movie is pretty much um, from the back, kind of sets the scene. We are in revenge mode by 15 minutes into oh, this movie. That's so good, isn't it? The, st- the story is so compact, but how it's told is different. Mm. So you open up. 
you open up with the actual aftermath of the event. And then you learn as the character, Eric regains his memories through telekinesis or he touches something, he remembers a memory connected to it. And that's how you find out like his love story mm. through these flashes, which is a lot better than spending 20 minutes, for example. If, you, if you've got a tight runtime of like 93 minutes, it does such a good job of getting everything in. Every act ends perfectly and sums up with the next one, <clears throat> which is great storytelling. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a well-made movie. Um, I would say it probably dates a little bit now watching it. Not, I'm not, I'm not going to hold it against the visual effects because I think we we said numerous times in this podcast that the mid '90s movies that were the bold pioneers of visual effects, like they had to pave the way for what's to come. So, yeah. it, but I I do think some of the lighting and some of the choice of like the lightning, um, the candle scenes is very. Very Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Does day itself. He's yeah. like, this is definitely nice mid-90s flick. It kind of borders on almost straight to TV mid-90s film in some scenes. Not the action scenes, not when it matters, <clears throat> but certainly some of the like apartment scenes, some of the things that are more, you know, on a set. Uh, yeah, there were points <clears throat> where I was like, this, this just feels like a, a, a kind of 12A um, horror flick in the 90s. Edited as well like a music video, very quick cuts, like for for the longest period, especially in the beginning, mm. you have uh, you have a scene that will launch out, tell you a bit of story. And then you'll have about 30 seconds worth of jump cuts and seeing various different things. Like you keep on your toes. You mm. had no time to look away because something was on the screen, something different. You know, that's how they... That's how they tell you a story that it's jarring, that it's different, because you as an audience are, are like, whoa, what's going on here? Whoa, there's a lot thrown at you and see what mm. sticks. So so when I was watching, I was like, oh my God, there's like a rock music video nowadays. And it is full of, you know, like mid-90s awesomeness. You've got The Cure, uh, Stone Temple Pilots, Rage Against the Machine, Rollins Band, Pantera, Violent Femmes, Nine Inch Nails. It is a, a mid-90s rock metal industrial wet dream you know, this soundtrack, listening to it, that dates it. You know, I was like, oh, <laughs> we are in the 90s here. And in a way, I don't think we said this, I mean, the grandfather of what you'd call superhero films now. It's yeah, because I like... always go back to Blade. I, well, yeah. for, for me, it's, it's, it's Spider-Man 2000. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Blade is a, is, a, is a clear gateway to that. Um, but then when you but, see The Crow, you're like, oh. Maybe. <clears throat> maybe. But then maybe. I suppose you could say before that you've got the Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah, the crow. You're right. right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This was this is this was the film that Zack Snyder watched. It was like, I've got it. More slow mo. <laughs> More slow mo. <laughs> but I want to make that gothic, dark uh, DC movie. Yeah, it's 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 great. Let's go into it then. Let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about some key scenes, and then let's recast and let's talk about the potential sequels we could have pitched to the studios. The Crow. So we open up and we see a city on fire. Some of the worst CGI fight you'll ever see. That is very much like a music video, isn't it? <laughs> so it's like the beginning of a game that you don't want to play. It's just like, oh. Do you, do you know what's wrong? Do you know what's wrong? <laughs> just jumping the gun. So it lends itself really well when you do aerial shots because it's, the film's called The Crow. Yeah. And so therefore when you're sweeping over a city, you know, you are, you know, it's bird's eye view, isn't it? Mm. I don't know in movies though at any point where a cinematographer has ever gone and then here in this scene, let's go to Crow Cam. <laughs> you know, where they where they go one step further. It's all right when the because spirits is the other thing. If you're watching a ghost story, yes. <clears throat> cinematography is, is beautiful in that because you get them haunting angles, you know, you get them floating over the top as if you're a spiritual figure. And the same with like animals, birds, that kind of thing. But it's when they go one step further and put a filter on. So it's as if you are actually looking through the eyes of a crow. And you think, we don't need this. Mate, the audiences were screaming for this in 94. More crow can. <laughs> like they've been let down by the World Cup in America. 
they were like, oh, that's what we need. Right. People believe, people once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes. Who believes that? Um, Native Americans in the fourth one. <laughs> Seriously, the fourth one, mate. He gathers a lot of the holes. Something so bad happens that a terrible sadness is carried with it and the soul can't rest. Then sometimes, just sometimes, the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. No, she doesn't come back to like put the fuel up or anything. <laughs> it's like the tax is ridiculous at the minute. None of this bullshit. Right, you ready, mate? That's a pretty interesting concept. James Zavar's kind of created there. Is yeah. anyone who's died unjustly, you know, gets an opportunity to come back. I mean, it's they, they, they're incredibly, um, you know, I mean, coming back immortal, that's not... It's really, not fair. Yeah, but then again, you you did die. So, <laughs> so, so, all right, okay. It's, I guess it depends on unjust. On, on what if you got accidentally hit by a car? Is it you that drives it? And you're just like, it was an accident, but you're like so furiously angry that the crow's like, all right, I'll give you soul back. <laughs> just hang about a bit. There's also different rules that aren't brought up in this. Anyway, it's Can you bring back my PlayStation 1? Because that died unjustly. And I would like an immortal PlayStation 1, please. Oh, fucking love if I left tonight and it's crow. Also, here's, you know, do you know in the film they're not crows, they're ravens? My whole world's a lie, James. <laughs> I'm to go dig a hole. Um, it's October 30th, Devil's Night. Yep. <laughs> um, the city has a 134 fires already. What an odd holiday. Insurance must be steep as fuck. <laughs> Where do you live? <laughs> Shithole. Yeah. Oh, what's the date? 29th. I'd like to renew my insurance. I'd like you to fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> um, I hope you brought a spare change of clothes and an umbrella. Because it doesn't stop raining. It does, man. It's so wet. It's like... He's giving Seattle a run for his money. Well, Ernie Hudson looks out of a cool attic window at the body below. A terrible crime has taken place. Ernie sparks up a cigarette, takes a puff, then puts it out. Waste. <laughs> that's, up there with, that's up there with my three pet thieves. It comes, and I don't even smoke. And that is people that light a full cigarette and then throw it. People that, people that leave a full breakfast because they're late for work. And people that pour a drink and then leave it and then leave the room. I'm like... Oh. I in restaurants when you order food and then they and then like they get a call and they leave and the food don't come it's like but they've cooked the food so you've got to pay or, so, yeah, so, so fuck you or it's there yeah what a waste in <laughs> we, the world we live in the man was thrown through the window sorry the man thrown through the window is Eric in the room is his fiance who has been beaten and sexually assaulted Ernie a beat cop tells the doctor to move the woman in order to you know save her fucking life <laughs> <laughs> it's like get her out of here because you know you yeah. can't save her. You take her to the hospital where you can maybe you know cure her. Yeah, bear in mind like there's no forensic work going on. He's smoking on the crime scene, but then yeah. this is pre bone collector, and we all know that bone collector invented, <laughs> invented <yeah>. forensics. <laughs> um, downstairs is Detective Shit for Brains. He chews Ernie out for not following procedure and letting the woman, you know, Shelley die. <laughs> Fucking, he's a hero. This bloke. Turns out they were both due to marry tomorrow. So Eric was going to marry Shelley on Halloween. What are the odds? A girl attends Shelley called Sarah. She's a skateboarding street kid who hangs out with these two adults. It's not weird. Get your mind out of the gutter. While this is going on, we see a crow watching over them. Or a raven. Or he was a raven. <laughs> because apparently, apparently crows aren't as, you know, photogenic. <laughs> Which I love. One year later. So what has that crow been doing? <laughs> Just he's, like, been, he's been escorting on the crow. You know, it's not... <laughs> He's not just assigned to one body. He's like the Uber of the crow world. Right, so I don't know about this. And what I like about it is there's a lot of mystery left about the crow. 
uh, like the character of the crow when it comes back. Like the idea that it's only there for revenge. It can't, you know, like get a job <laughs> and relive its life. It's there for revenge. And I like to think it's only there for a little bit, like a night. If it waits a year, what's to stop all the criminals going, you know what, I'm not going to move. Yeah. <laughs> and then you just see like, you see Eric come back to life and he's like, go get a train ticket to New York. And he's like, well, have you got your passport? He's like, well, no, because technically I'm dead. <laughs> so what's going to happen? But also, do, is it, so we know the crow is the ethos behind it, is, but but no one ever goes, oh shit, it's the crow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, so are we just assuming that the crow is? It's just there, man. It just happens to be. What you didn't see is there's there's a a beaver <laughs> in the background. It's like, well, I did it. Why are you calling it the crow? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but like, but like if you go, oh, what are you going as a Halloween? Oh, I'm going to go as the crow. You, you know, like, oh, you wouldn't dress up and put white face paint and then black, and you'd be like, I'm, I'm the crow, quite clearly. You'd be like, No, you're not. You're Eric Draven. You, you sting. Yeah, no, that's what I'm trying to get at. Is, so, no one actually calls him the crow or, or no. references the fact that, you know, the crow is the person. But, yeah. But we do in context. Like, yeah. You know, he's the, the crow. He's the crow, but yeah. he's not. He's not. That's a good point. He's just Eric back from the dead because of the crow. So what you should call is always oh, the byproduct of the crow. Eric back from the dead about to drop the sickest album of all time. You forgot about Eric. <laughs> the grave of Shelley and Eric is visited by Sarah, who is wearing the exact the same exact clothes from a year ago. Yep. She see she leaves some flowers on the grave. Before she leaves, she th- stole from a grave next to it. Like so, she's a grave robber. Yeah, but you know she's got no money, mate. She anyway. Before she leaves, she throws some zingers at a crow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <sighs> Wasted character. There's yeah. no need for this character to be in this movie. And then the crow starts pecking at Eric's tombstone. Mm. Don't worry about it. Probably don't come up. Meanwhile, buried in the tombstone. Is it? <laughs> meanwhile, Eric is at a food stall. Sorry, Ernie is at a food stall telling him how to properly put mustard on a hot dog. That's what I want from this film. He's not telling him to put it under. <laughs> so you just you disagree with Ernie fucking Hudson. Well, so Matey Boy, who, who I imagine has been doing this for quite a while. Well, time. it's his job. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact he just turns around and the guy goes, that's not when you arrest someone, you pillock. <laughs> yeah. He's like like a fucking amateur. He's putting mustard on the so- on the, on the sausage. Yeah. Put and on then, the bun. And he's like, no, put it underneath. And at this point, you're like, well, now there's like, no double mustard. Oh, that's what he was after. He was after double mustard. And onions. She doesn't have onions. Anyway, anyway. And you thought we weren't going to be able to take the piss out of this. <laughs> I know. Sarah shows up and Ernie, uh, Ernie, ever the gentleman, buys the girl a hot dog. No onions. It appears he's the adult looking after Sarah in the absence of Shelley and Eric. So you get the idea that she's homeless, possibly, you know, she doesn't have anyone out looking for it. Ernie Humeter read the crime scene a year ago. He's taken over because he's Ernie Hudson. He's mm. a nice guy. Heart gold. Mm. What else is happening, I hear you ask? How about a group of criminals smashing in the shittiest arcade you've ever seen? I don't get the business plan of these criminals. I don't. Thank you. Because I don't get it either, especially when you find out later. But They drive away at high speed, passing Sarah, Sarah and Ernie. And seconds later, the bomb that they put in the arcade explodes. It's so extra. You've already smashed it up. <laughs> you need to blow it up. Anyway. And also, like, I, I get it. They're the bad and you need to establish the bad. But, you know, what happens if they want to go play in the arcade yeah. later? <laughs> They've ruined it for everyone. <laughs> now, no one can have fun. Anyway, did it, I don't know if you saw this, but during this part, Ernie puts his cig- second cigarette down without finishing it. Mm. Wasted it twice. Meanwhile, at the grave, not meanwhile, meanwhile, at the grave, Eric smashes out of the ground and cries out while a crow flies at him, terrifying the piss out of him. 
Um, he wanders he wanders the allies uh, alleys, stripping off his clothes he was buried in. He wanders back to his former home, which luckily hasn't been rented out to anyone else or turned into a Nando's. <laughs> it's just or a- knocked down, which we later find out was the point. <laughs> <laughs> that was mine. Yeah, I was like, I was like, it's lucky. I don't understand what the. Yep, you're right. Yep. Um, he sees the cat that we can only assume has survived on its hunting skills and quick wit because no fuck has been feeding that cat. Um, he begins to have flashes of his murder and the people who tormented and raped his fiance. In reality, he handles glass but sees his skin instantly. Else, he cuts himself. We need to know that he's got superpowers now, so he kind of hangs himself out the window, possibly contemplating death. I mean, we know he's got superpowers, James, because he died a year ago <laughs> and he's now walking. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe just I don't know. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, we need to establish that he's not he's not human anymore. He's not human. And then afterwards, he throws himself out of there. Um, and then what I love about that, no, sorry, I've missed this. He, he finds one of his shirts still in the house, has some more flashbacks, and decides to paint his face the same as a mask he once wore when he was banging the missus. <laughs> and that crow is still fucking watching him. So there's a mask, which he wore as a joke, and you see through the flashes, because there's no story. The, the backstory's told literally through these flashes, and I don't believe an account of Shelley really says any words in this. It's literally there to be these, what, 10-second flashes we see. Mm. Does a good enough job. We know that he loves Shelley. We know, we know that he wore a masquerade mask, and we know that that's how he paints his face. That will be the symbol of his rage. When he was a, when he was in a, when he was a rock star. Yeah. <clears throat> Weird that the film isn't called The Masquerade Mask, then, yeah. <laughs> because that's what the paint's based on. Kevin Smith's just bringing out a, a comic book called The Masquerade. Ooh. But yeah, that would have been a better title for this instead of The Crow. No, I quite like The Crow to be Masquerade. What are the gang members, what are those gang members up to a year later from the murder? Well, do, you, do you think, just as a, as a plot device, a year later is the good time? I think so, because it's a year is the anniversary. I know what they're going for. Um, because if it happened straight away, you'd always wonder, oh, he's, he's not dead. The, the mystery would be gone. But there's something that I don't really bring up in here because I didn't really know how to put it up. But now's a good time. The natural break in the conversation is he now goes around and he tortures these people for killing him. And not everyone understands that he's Eric Draven mm. straight away. And that's something that happens in the, in, in all the other sequels. That takes a time before they go, oh my God, you're the guy I killed. Everyone says, oh, we didn't mean to kill him. When he's torturing and he's trying to get his own back on like the four henchmen, he's like, oh, we didn't mean to kill him. It's like, he died. What of it? It's like, at the same time, it's treated like, oh, we didn't mean to do it. And at the same time, it's like, oh, we didn't give a shit. Mm. So it's really weird. It's like, I don't understand like the levels of guilt. Presumably none. Yeah. The, the, I find that with this is, I, I suppose it's obviously, it, it's for him to confront his killers and be like, do you remember a year ago? And they go, no, that was just another movie. Yeah, exactly. He's it, <laughs> way more sinister and scary and horrible than, yeah, um, I've regretted, you know, what we did a year mm. ago on that fateful night kind of thing. What does he, um, what does he do if he meets someone who's genuinely resourceful, uh, resentful? Though? He's like, oh, remorseful is the word I was looking for. You know. What would he do? Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I mean. It's funny you should mention that because I might do, I might play on that kind of theory that you've got there later. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Um, they're sat in a bar celebrating Devil's Night by drinking bullets... <laughs> Did you remember when we went out for your 18th night? We were just like, I'll get a nine millimeter down here. Well, we were all fucking excited because we were just blown up that arcade, didn't we? <laughs> the best thing to do after that is just down a few bullets. Down a few bullets, mate. Yeah, later. What, it's, it's, it's all jokes until the next day. You're trapping that bullet out. 
Imagine as well. Imagine if, if you forgot. Yeah. It's just like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah, swallowed some bullets last night. <laughs> and also, like, what if, what if it did go wrong? You went to the hospital. And it's like, what happened? Oh, I slipped on it. You, you wouldn't be like, oh, I ate them. They'd be like, you, you put them with your yeah. bomb. Yeah. <laughs> you, How did this bullet get inside you? You're just um, like, does it matter? Just, just whatever you think, I did it. <laughs> Um, what are they doing when they're not swallowing bullets? They're swearing and they're stubbing cigarettes out on each other. <laughs> Just uh, fucking... These, Boys, eh? These people know how to party. Uh, one of the henchmen, Tintin, sells some stolen goods to a pawn shop as Eric legs it across t- rooftops, tracing the crow. The crow takes Eric to Tintin. <gasps> they fight. And after Tintin fails to stab him, Eric questions him about that night a year ago. Eric tells Tintin by stabbing him it kills him by stabbing him in every major organ in alphabetical order, yeah, which I don't understand. What it's like, it's like if that was me, I'd be like, right, A, hey, what you got? Hold <laughs> <laughs> on, let's do it now. Hey, uh, I don't know what, what could he do. I mean, I did fucking human biology. Yeah, no, human. I didn't. So. <laughs> then, his appendix. Maybe he went for maybe his appendix. His appendix. The use, useless organ. So get rid of that one. That's B fine. brain, which hey. I'd like to point out. You never see him actually be stabbed in because you see Tintin's. Also, how do they know which order he was stabbed Oh, he goes in? after the five major organs, though, Does he? he? Oh, okay. So I'd have thought lung, kidney, and the others. <laughs> the rest. Um, yeah. yeah. He also leaves a crew drawing of a crow in Tintin's blood. Oh, and he nicks his jacket. Mm. Oh, no, he's the thief. In a year's time, <laughs> Tintin's going to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> well, later, when the police discover the scene, Detective Shipforbrains chews out Ernie and sends him away. That's right, Ernie doesn't... Yeah, that's right, by the way. Early third cigarette than that. Still don't finish it. Do you think that first... Uh, so there's our first scene of, of the crow in full makeup, you know, or Eric in full makeup, taking his... The, the first of four that mm. he needs to kill this night. It's, in terms of introductions, it is cool, but I also... It does that thing where the camera pulls away before showing you... Because I think that's the... You know, you look at some characters like the Punisher... Yeah. Who, who's who's revengeful, you know, and and you know the camera won't pull away because he's brutal, and there is a part of me that thinks this is an eighteen. Does it warrant actually being a bit more brutal and showing, look, what you did to my wife and what you did to me? I, I'm here for a revenge, and fuck it, I'm going to dish it out and make it a bit because that scene to me it is cool, you know, when he kind of like come like he jumps off the building, squares up to Tintin, who's like. Who, who are you? And kind yeah. of slowly becomes to realise who it is. Calls him a mime as well. He's like, "What? You, why are you dressed up? Halloween's not till tomorrow. And there's the kind of the knife play bit, you know, he's like, uh, you know, batting him away or whatever. But it's all a bit like, oh, I kind of want to see a bit more. If you saw too much though, it would be hard to recognise him as the hero. But I don't think this is a hero story. No, no, I guess that's true. But would you be rooting for him if you just saw him like proper mute like someone? Yeah, because you're still, you're still, you know, the death of Shelley and the murder of him. You're still rude. I think, he's an anti-hero, but I, think I, don't, nowadays, I don't think you should be connected to him. I think you should dish out, you know, like like Judge Dredd in the Carl Urban one. Like, fuck it, no fucking about, mate. Getting the job done. I guess, but at the same time as it was 94, we hadn't had that yet. Maybe maybe you didn't want to be too much, too different. Not brave enough. <clears throat> Not brave enough. I mean, they had gone against, like, the grain already by having, you know, Sting as <laughs> the main guy in this film. Sting's a wrestler, by the way, who has the exact, who basically based on this film, his character became edgier, so he basically just <laughs> dressed up as the crow. <laughs> Which a wrestler, another wrestler, Scott Hall, just went, hey, maybe you should dress up. And Sting was like, yeah, right. <laughs> that was it. That was, the, that was the extent of the creativity. Um, it's it's a, in a nightclub. I'm just going to say this here. Fuck right off. If you, if you 
sleep next to a nightclub. I can't imagine it because this is a nightclub and right behind is like basically the big daddy, top dollar. Top no, dollar. I'm not taking a piss. In a nightclub, the men who blew up the arcade meet up with Tony Todd, the main henchman to a local crime lord, an all-round bad guy, top dollar, who is currently having his way with his half-sister and another young lady who has been murdered by whatever it is we just missed out on, which I'm thankful for. <laughs> it's good. Um, imagine having, imagine living above a nightclub Fucking nightmare. I just, you try to get some sleep. Just like keep it down. I'm an old man now. That, 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 that's a real like 90s, early That's only a 90s thing, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, the sister, Micah, cuts out the dead girl's eyes and smokes them apparently. Mm. Mm. And they all have a good inhale while mm. he's doing a big bowl of coke. It's busy being top dollar. It was the nice thing. <laughs> at another bar, lots of bars here, mate. Sarah shows up to see her mum. So she says, I like this, the realisation that she has a mum. Mm. <clears throat> who is making out with henchman fun boy. She is not a good mother. The pawn shop owner is counting his money until Eric interrupts him, demanding to know where the ring is that Tintin pawned a year ago. I'm not being funny, but fuck off. It's like, a year ago? Mm. How would you know? Yeah, this is John Polito, who plays Gideon, the pawn shop owner, perfectly cast, perfectly cast. as a pawn shop owner, known for movies like Highlander at the time, uh, Miller's Crossing and, and such. I, I th- This kind of, yeah, greasy pawn shop owner scene this is that's awesome that scene is like really really cool when he's in there and he's like you make money off misery he uses really good quotes like did you not so he does go did you not hear me rap tap tapping obviously based on the famous poem but it's oh, like yeah. he's like let me in dickhead <laughs> just yeah. it changes it up, isn't yeah it? <clears throat> yeah i really like this scene this and uh and the whole like putting the rings in the shotgun fucking metal mate do you think he's lucky that no one picked this ring <laughs> It's yeah. been a year later and no one's gone, I love that ring. That's <laughs> the biggest kick in the isn't it? It's just like, no one wanted it. <laughs> just remember this ring? Yeah, it's fucking hard to get rid of. <laughs> no one wants it. It's fucking horrible. It's covered in blood. <laughs> anyway, Eric finds the ring and many, many others. He beats the shop owner a little before smashing up the shop and covering it in gasoline. He tells the owner to warn all the others that death is coming for them all. True to his world. True to his will, true to his word, Eric loads up a shotgun with the other wedding rings and fires it. Yeah, so brutal, mate. That is, that is pretty brutal. Ernie shows up and tries to arrest Eric, but Eric, Lee, but Eric seemingly manages to disappear. Next on his list is Fun Boy. I, do, do you think that's a cliche now? Like, Batman's done it to death of, you know, the good guy. This, this is basically Commissioner Gordon speaking to Batman on the roof of, uh, of the GPPD. He's got to arrest him because he's the good guy. He's a vigilante, but yeah. he needs to he needs to get out of it. So he turns around and then he's disappeared. He's just and disappeared. It's, just, it's out of the Batman playbook. This scene, the Crow playbook, mate. Yeah, there you go. Um, Top Dollar is making out with his sister, and we learn that she is somewhat of a witch, and she uses these eyes to get glimpses into the future. That's lucky. <laughs> I also don't understand how she came about this power. Did she accidentally eat an eye and be like, oh, I can see the future? <laughs> <laughs> or... <laughs> <laughs> I can see Or... <laughs> Top Dollar is unconcerned about Tintin's death, but fuming about the destruction of the pawn shop. Eric, meanwhile, saves Sarah from getting hit by a car, but he doesn't want to see his face. But then he tells her a line that only she would recognise as Eric, so what was the point? Yeah, and then so Batman's like, again. <laughs> <laughs> Looking Batman so quick, mate. Um, meanwhile, Ernie is looking at old files of the murder, believing that the figure he encountered earlier is Eric, the only one to think of it at this stage. This is weird, though, as a plot narrative in the film, where, again, do you need the good cop? Doing the Not in this story. Because like, we know the story. <laughs> we know it. We've been, we've been told it. In fact, we did that 20 minutes ago. So, like, him figuring out the pieces, 
again, nowadays, I think you won't waste your time in a 90, you know, to, uh, you know, 100 minute movie. You won't waste your time with a policeman who's so far behind in this story <laughs> going, I've solved it. No shit. <laughs> it's on the back of the DVD. Like, just to say, though, fourth cigarette unfinished. <laughs> I mean, nowadays, there'd be an e cigarette. I know, he's wasted about a tenner. Fun Boy. What? Oh, he's got non- He's got a cool name, Fun Boy. So you think, I don't know, arcades? No, injecting heroin into his girlfriend, not himself, <laughs> injecting it into her. Sarah's mum and himself. They get spooked when the crow shows up. The actual crow, not not Eric. <laughs> the crow shows up <laughs> and they start giving his shit. Um, but then, then Eric, but then Eric enters the room and Funboy shoots him through the hand, which Eric looks through and laughs as they struggle. I'm going to say that that holds up. I really, that's iconic. That's probably the most, one of the most iconic up there with Brandon Lee's face paint is he gets shot through the hand and he looks for it. Yeah. I love that effect. I genuinely love it. His mail was cool. It's fucking awesome. It's Brandon Lee's laughing manically. At this stage, Massey's doing a good job of looking like like he doesn't know if he's pulled off his tits or if it's actually happening. Gotta say some great, great moments here. Yeah, and this and the aesthetics and the the, the the design of this room and you know, this drug layer, you know, the mattress, the used needles, the you know, the shitty bathroom. Because it's probably my favourite scene. I know jumping, you know, the gun talking about like peak moments. But then after this, he drags Sarah's mom into the bathroom and he's like, he basically gives her a lecture like Jeremy Kyle. <laughs> but at the same time, he's using his powers to basically forcibly reject the heroin, which is pouring out of the track marks in her arm, which is fucking metal as fuck. And you're like, yeah. oh my God, this guy's fucking badass. And then, and then you got to think as well, is he's, he's, he's shot a uh, fun boy in the leg who's passed out from it. And he's trying to wake <clears> him up in the bathtub and sober him up. And at the same time, telling Darla to leave. She knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And regardless of him being an abuser and it being a toxic relationship, she knows what's in fate for him. And so again, without seeing anything, that image, she acts that scene very well where she's leaving and as the door's closing, she knows what's happening. But she's also got to portray that she's relieved that she's not dying because she thinks she's there to kill both of them. Yeah. So she's kind of like going through that phase of like, he's giving her a life lesson and a second chance. She's relieved that she's not going to die, but she knows what's going to happen to him. And there's a, it, do you know what? In an otherwise, what could have been written off as a quite a B movie style film, um, Anna Thompson, who plays Darla, gives a real fucking performance yeah. in that scene that's really harrowing. We're not using words as well. Yeah. It's all like body and face and tears, <clears throat> terror. So next, it's time for fun where he gets thrown up against a mirror and Unfortunately, just massive amounts of heroin, like all the heroin injected into, he dies of a heroin overdose, and all the needles are put in the shape of a crow. Extra. Unsurprisingly, this kills him, but I, I've just got this image of the crow just going right. Oh no, it doesn't quite look like a crow. <laughs> <laughs> it looks more like a pigeon. It looks, oh, it looks they're like get, a they're, raven. They're going to think the pigeons done it. <laughs> they come in, it's like the pigeon. <laughs> he strikes Drugs again. again. <laughs> um, the pawn shop owner is interrogated by Top Dollar and Tony Todd. They find out all the information. He wants to know about, what's this one ring that he wanted? He's like, oh, he's, he, he was trying to take it to Mordor, mate. There's <laughs> a crossover you didn't know you wanted. <laughs> it's, it's like, what's the ring? It's like, do you know the shitty one I can get rid of? The one, in, the one covered in blood, yeah. yeah that one. Who yeah. was that? <laughs> and then they kill him. Eric drops by Ernie's house to talk about the case because he needs to, because Ernie's not going to get on his own. Cool as well, though. When he kills Gideon, and he, like, I mean, first off, that sword's a bit, again, yeah. it's quite long. 
stabs him in the neck and immediately goes, oh, die already and shoots him twice. Yeah. And I, if I was Gideon, I'd be like, well, give me a sec. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you have only just stabbed me. Just give me a I'm sorry. Yeah, just give me you know, you've, you, you missed my arteries. It's just gone through me. It's just, just really, it's just I think I might survive this. Oh, shit. <laughs> Um, I'm just going to say this. If you're going to make love to Ernie Hudson, would you rather have kept his cop hat on? <laughs> yeah, and he sucked. Because <laughs> he's so... Uh, Eric drops by Ernie's house to talk about the case. Hilariously, Ernie is in his pants, but still wearing his policeman's hat. And I'm just like, yeah, he's probably about to have sex. <laughs> his wife's in the other room just going, still got a hat on her, right? <laughs> yeah, don't you dare take it off. Ernie explains that Shelley didn't die immediately and then was in immense pain for 30 hours. Eric touches Ernie and is able to experience it. So this is something as well that I haven't really mentioned, but he's really, really cool. Is when he, because think of the crow as like his mind Swiss cheese. He doesn't remember everything. He barely knows his purpose. When he touches something, like when he touches the cat earlier, he remembers the loving time he had with Shelley. When he touches a knife later on in like the sequel, he sees the murder. Um, in this experience, he touches Ernie and Ernie Basically, and this is really cool, I realized Ernie felt so responsible. He stayed with her for 30 hours. He just stood outside the door and watched her, just experienced all this pain. And as a result of that, now Eric feels that. He feels 30 hours of pain that, that Ernie stood there and watched, which doesn't make any sense when you think about it. But at the same time, cool. Yeah, and and, and as a young audience member, particularly how this movie ends, it doesn't really explain yeah. he absorbs that pain at that time because that's going to come back up later. Yes. And uh, when that has to be explained, it, it's it is a bit off. But it yeah, is, but the idea that he absorbed that pain from. And I'm really uh, there's a great job of here of Eric uh, recoiling in agony and sadness. And and when Ernie like goes to comfort him, he doesn't like want to give it back to him. Yeah. So he says, "Stay the hell away from me," and then leaves. And I was just as Eric goes, I really like the character of Eric Draven. I think it's really cool that he's not in life. He was a rock guitarist, and he's not like I don't know. He's not good. No, he doesn't have like a hit list. He's like, right, I'm immediately going to go do this. He kind of fucks about a bit, <laughs> which you would do. You've been dead a year. Yeah. Um, two more henchmen are trying to get out of the city after hearing about the events of the night, but one of them gets into a car and Eric is in the back seat with the policeman in hot pursuit. I still don't really understand. Eric's able to lose the police, which is lucky, and then decides to kill the henchman in a firefly crash, car crash, super set fire, very elaborate plan. Like too elaborate. It says basically, duct tapes him to a car, sets fire to it, and sends him off. Sends him off a river cliff. Yeah, again, it's extra, a, isn't it? It's, it's so extra. But what I don't understand is, it's fire and water are like completely opposite. It's like he's going to die of fire or drowning. Well, you don't have to make it both. One of them is guaranteed. <laughs> he's extremely burnt, drowning. It's yeah, the worst exactly. Way to go. <laughs> Oh, was he on fire? Then it was like, oh my God, the relief of yeah. the water. He was, oh, thank God for that. I was like, oh, now I'm going to drown. And then, underwater fire, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other goon who witnessed all of this runs to Top Gear, begging to be protected, and that's Skank. And I, do you know what? I love Skank because he doesn't know what's going on. Mm. He is not a top of henchman. He is not number one henchman. He's just there for the ride. He is Weasley. He comes across as Weasley. His interaction with Top Dollar, Top Dollar is basically using him for the crow. Yeah. It's really good. Skank is no one's favourite. And then, my favourite. <laughs> Love you, Skank. I, I like that scene as well where he goes back and basically Top Dollar's like, oh, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he's my guy. So I've kind of got to look out for him. Meanwhile, Tony Todd checks out Eric's grave and sees that he's empty. It's weird, isn't it? That no one else has noticed this, this body that's just got out of the grave. Also, Ernie's been to the grave as well when he was trying to work out if it was out. You don't just think to like, oh, we should just like fill in a bit. <laughs> just in case anyone Push else can a bit of that dirt back in. <laughs> um, Eric, uh, 
Sarah's mum wakes her up by cooking breakfast. She's trying to do better. That's nice. So we know that the world's going to get better for Sarah. Ernie is getting chewed out by detective shit for brains who rudely asks what is going on. But Ernie refuses to help and in turn is suspended for conduct despite the fact that that makes no fucking sense. you got to get him out, apparently. I like Ernie Hudson's character in this bit. The more you talk about him, the more it's clear he's redundant in this whole thing. He is redundant. You don't need the cop narrative. You definitely don't he's need been suspended Sarah. now. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> Sarah, well, the only reason you need Sarah is literally she is a plot point that gets you to the final episode, uh, final scene. as well, you need him, you need the cop as well to... Cause be the, the straight end, man, I guess, to, as well. Yeah, but also he, he, he has to cover it all up. So there's That's not true. like a big investigation at the it's end. It's just like, oh, does this guy come back to that? <laughs> does this guy <laughs> come back to life? And then he's like, no. Because <laughs> if, he, if he wasn't there, I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he did. Is he a ghost? Don't call them. I, I, I don't be know. Asked. Sarah goes to Eric's place and they embrace his friends. Sarah takes the cat and meets Ernie for some hot dogs and they discuss death and the returning dead. Um, and that's really cool. It's like, because they both know, but they both can't say. They've both met Eric now. Eric's basically come clean to have gone, yeah, I'm back from the dead. And then they have this weird Cody conversation where they're trying to find out if the other person knows about Eric. And I like that. I think that's really good writing. They're like, what do you think about? But it comes across as like, oh, what do you think about dead? It's like, oh, I know a guy who was dead. And he's like, Right, is Eric then? <laughs> if I did know someone, and yeah. I'm not saying I do. But what's Eric up to? Well, what do you think he's up to? He's got one person left to kill on his list of four. Do you think maybe he's playing the guitar on a rooftop? Fucking, mate, way before Stranger Things. <laughs> way before Stranger Things. <laughs> you know, everyone forgets this. He was doing it first. He was smashing up as well, like proper going for it as well. Yeah, he wasn't playing Master of Puppets. No, I don't even know what he's playing. He's playing his own one, was it? Famous so, yeah. song. <laughs> How vain. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you come back for one last encore, mate. Oh, that's well, mate, what you do. He's up there, they just after he finishes, so shut up. <laughs> <laughs> or he does it to the crowd, the crowd just leaves. Yeah, <laughs> just like, oh. <laughs> Time for Top Dollar to go through Criminal Palooza at his nightclub as the patrons smash the place up. All the criminals in the city are ready for a meeting and they're getting their orders from Top Dollar. Top Dollar talks about Devil's Nights turning commercial, <laughs> turning commercial, even having its own greetings card. I mean, I don't, I don't get what, I don't get what Devil's Night is. And I don't get the, I don't get the business plan here. No. What we're going to do is we're going to destroy the city. Yeah. And then one of them's like, and why? Then, uh, profit. <laughs> yeah. You know, so does he own like a construct? Oh, he does own construction, doesn't he? I, I, I think so. I think, I think it was in something to do with the insurance payouts or something. Because the reason why Shelley is killed is because Shelley wanted to, she was told to evict her house, but she got together with the other tenants and basically wrote a letter that says, we'd rather not. How fucking bad was that letter? <laughs> It's up there with Randy Quaid's arsehole from, from Independence Day. It's like, what? what the, the aliens saw it and decided to eradicate life. Whatever. So what was in the angels? What was in Shelley's lair? I'll tell you what. That is my crowning achievement in this podcast, is coming up with that theory for Independence Day. I think we should talk about that more. What was, what was in the arsehole? What was in that yeah. lair? Was it just, was it like, a drawing <laughs> of yeah. Randy I'll like quickly raise, <laughs> raise the ground to the um, Devil's Night is all about starting some fires and turning some profit don't know how don't question it <laughs> Still, as a business plan goes go into there mate at Google go right I've got some idea Devil's Night right tell me about it set some fires yeah it must be insurance it must be insurance the meeting is being watched by Eric and his crow he drops in to have a chat and demands the villains hand over the last member skank Top Dollar refuses his request and he orders the guys to shoot him dead. And I'm going to point out, I really like the scene. Mm. He's a mall, no one else knows he's a mall. Eric shows up, first bit of gunplay as well. 
So, so far it's just been kind of like fight, knife fight, tackling, sticking air in people. First come fight, pretty cool. Liked it, stylish, wicked cool. I'd even throw in there. <clears throat> Dangerous as well. But you get, there's, there's a Joker-esque element of it. Like Eric knows he can't be hurt and it's, it's kind of taking liberties at this point. Like he genuinely is like overacting. He's enjoying the role of Punisher because he knows he can't be hurt. He's, he's inflicting damage. It's great. Only to be equaled by top dollar is just like, oh, you're boring. <laughs> Basically, you're boring. <laughs> Shoot him. He's so cool. They're great. They're great arch rivals. Yeah. And this scene is the first time they get to meet each other. And I do what it works perfectly. Yeah, I think it works good. I, I like this scene. As a kid, this, you know, first time watching it, this was the big showdown. Because, you know, the one-on-one stuff is great, but this is like taking names. Mm. These are all bonus as well. These are all fodder. These are, you know, he's only fear for the four. These are just... Well, also, this is really cool as well. This is the point I want to go on to, but I'll do it in a second. Top Doll and his friends are able to run away, and Micah realises that the power of Eric's immortality comes from the crow that is ever-present where he is. So what has happened here is he's shown up, they started having a shoot, and she's like, do you know what? Them's crow's eyes. I'm having them. <laughs> it's just like, I bet they I bet, bet they got something good in them. <laughs> I want them. As opposed to, it could just be a crow, and then she could get dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> just die of airborne bacteria. Yeah, it's like, fancy me some crow tonight. <laughs> mm. Them human eyes didn't do it. <laughs> and KFC's around the corner. Right, but this is really cool. So when business is completed, Eric decides to return to the grave. But when he returns to the graveyard, he finds Sarah waiting for him. Now, this is really cool. <sighs> well, is it really cool? Because I realise Eric's done. Eric's had his revenge on the four people that he killed them, and he's off now. So what I'm going to say is what happens next is your fault, Top Dog. <laughs> it's literally you're to blame because he was gone. He didn't know you were involved in this at all. Mm. He decides to kidnap Sarah. So do you think if he got in the grave, that would have just been it? Well, this is where I guess, so this is what I like about the ambiguity of the crow. Like, really do like it. Is I think you decide when you're done. I think you're the restless soul that brings yourself back. Unable to rest for a year, Eric Draven's soul wouldn't go to the afterlife to be with Shelley. Because we know from the end of this film, suppose that's where Shelley is. But he can't get there because he's he's tethered. He wants revenge, he's vengeance. So I think he himself, he's complete. Because also, how would he know? He doesn't know Top Dollar. He would just assume he's going to the grave. I like to think that that was the end. Yeah. And his Top Dollar being Top Dollar. And also, one, that's an amazing name. <laughs> Top Dollar. But it's also in him as well. Like, he gives a speech. Oh, we're fast-forwarding to the end here. But the speech he gives when he's fighting the crow or Eric on top of the church, he's really cool. He's like, my daddy always said, there's someone out there that's better than you are. I can't remember he the speech off the top of my head. Demon, yeah. So he's he's like, I'm glad I found you. It's like, if it helps, you've been great. Yeah, It's such a great line. But also, Eric didn't know any of this. Like, you, Top Dog did all of this. He's, he's like insatiable ability, which comes out as the, as the story goes on. It's like... Maybe he's not happy with being a criminal. Maybe he wants to be like this all-powerful killing crow type thing. I think it's up to you as the audience member. It's your interpretation. Because the end, the end of the movie is very much 89 Batman, isn't it? Yeah, always definitely. Like, let's meet at the church. Let's go to the top. Let's fight it. And one of you is going to fall off. And it yeah. is, it is it, it's, it's very much like the 89 Batman when I was watching it this week. But so jumping back in. So he gives the ring to Sarah and asks her to look after it. And they say their goodbyes. But as she leaves the graveyard, she is kidnapped by Tony Todd. I'm going to point out his ear. Tony Todd's too cool. Mm. He's, he just it's, shows up. It's great. He's great. He's, he's, and Eric returns to do justice one last time. <laughs> he goes to an abandoned church where Tony Todd shoots the crow and Top Dollar shoots Eric in the arm, which hurts him. Eric has lost his immortality before Todd can finish off the crow. Ernie motherfucking Hudson shows up with his best friend. A motherfucking shotgun. <laughs> no cap, though. No cap. No uh, no police hat. I'm just going to say this, mate. 
the Crow versus Top Dollar is second billing to the main event, which is Tony Todd versus Ernie Hudson. It's, <laughs> it's the main event we all want. <laughs> Everyone else can fly. don't care about the magic, mate. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's up there with Hogan versus the Warrior, isn't it? It's WrestleMania 6, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Before Todd can finish off... Oh, I've done that. Micah tries to eat the Crow's eyes to gain the power, so Eric throws her off a belt, <laughs> which I think is, you know, legit. I love the fact as well the Crow teases her. <laughs> It's like the crow. To be honest, mate, the crow's a bit of a dick. <laughs> Just like lets her come to the right places. Like no shuffle. I do. I do like how the crow takes her eyes in like a full circle of yes. Like yes, yes your eyes. You want it? It would be great if the crow said, like, "Fuck, I can see shit." <laughs> <laughs> That's where you can't an arse on. I was just shit for days. On the church roof, Top Dollar and Eric fight, but Dollar is just too good, even stabbing Eric through the chest just before dying. And after this great speech, which you can't really do justice, it's one of my favourite villain speeches. And I think it's because of the villain Top Dollar, played by Michael, Michael Winkler. We got, he's, he's, he's so good. Mm. I just want to hear him talk. He's, he's up there with his, with his arm puffs and his like, Victorian shirt, his great waistcoat. He looks, he looks the equal of the crowd. And I'll be honest, I've, I fucking love this end bit. And then he's won. And then Eric just kind of like, badass, it was like, oh, it's over, which is good because I've got something to give you. It's, it's hurt me carrying this. And it basically touches him and transfers the 30 hours of pain that Shelley felt. And that is enough to destabilise Top Dollar and he falls to mm. his death. Very, uh, very Gaston. Yes, that's, the yes. That, that's actually a really good way of putting it with his shirt, with his, with his poofy arms. Um, Ernie asks for a cigarette, but it's disgusting. So he spits it out. Five cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, on his way out, Ernie gets to tell a detective to go fuck himself, which is weird because, you know, he's there. He's there to like cover up. He's like, what happened here? He's like, I'm not telling you shit. Yeah. And he basically says that Top Dollar was the one behind all the... Yeah. The vigilante things. Shit, yeah. Eric disappears and returns to the grave where he's visited by Shelley and the crow drops off the ring to Sarah. The crow looks on, wondering what others he can revive and what shit he's equals like. <laughs> but also, you've got to ask, where's he been before this? So, like, was he around in Nazi Germany? Yeah, you know, so it's like resurrected people. I mean, how long have crows been around? <laughs> did, it, did it? Was it the crow that resurrected Christ after he started again? <laughs> what, what, we don't know. Fucking, that'd be epic. Imagine the hate you'd get if you wrote that. <laughs> I just, you know, what I was? I was, I was watching the rock. Uh, I was watching the crow, and I was just thinking, bring him back for fucking everything. Just be like, what about Predator Two? But the crow visits the predator and it comes back and he's like, go get on our swords. And then yeah. you see the crow come up like sting. <laughs> Any film, mate, just bring the crow. Great. You can rewrite everything. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing in it is like, is Eric Draven the first? Because if there's been previous and obviously they wouldn't have worn the face paint, that's significant to this one. Mm. But these, like, is it basically saying that every vigilante re-killing is, you know, but it is odd, isn't it? It's like, if you were, if you were a, if if you were anyone in that film, you'd be like, "This guy, this this is the, this is the first one," you know, because there's been a lot of mistrust killings over the years in history. Joe, can I just bring up something about the face paints? There's that's a really cool thing. I think there's an idea as well that all of the the crow's chosen ones always have to end up with that face paint, but they come about it different ways. So in this, he takes inspiration from a mask that meant a lot to him and his fiance Shelley. In the second one. Um, the main character's kid is murdered. So it's not a, it's not a wife or a spouse. It's actually his child that gets murdered in a crossfire. And he uses his kid's paint to put it on. So it makes more meaning to him. In the third one, the crow is on death row and his face is charred up. He gets the electric chair and he basically peels his face off and the paint's there. 
And so it all kind of like makes me, in the fourth one, he fucking draws on with a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it, it's really cool that you mentioned like that. I like the idea that the face paint is integral to the crow. Um, but then that fourth one, you literally just hear it Ed Phil and put it on with a fucking Sharpie. And you're just like, wow, this film yeah, is isn't, shit. Isn't he in Mexico in that field, fourth one? No, he's not supposed to be. They just hire a lot of... There's, there's really bad casting. Danny Trejo is supposed to... He plays a Native American. <laughs> I can't remember. I, I thought it was a, I thought it was set in Mexico. No, it was set in a Native American reservation. Oh, yeah. So the... Um, Which the, is somehow makes it worse. The, the second one, yeah, he's drowned, didn't he? And he's, but as they... Again, OTT killing. They're being drowned, but they shoot him at the same time and yeah, the sun dies. because you, you... Mate, you got double double death. And then... <laughs> the only way the crow will take... The crow's not interested in just with the one. So and then he comes back... Yeah. And the second one, I forgot about the, the third one, I forgot about the electric chair one. Well, actually, do you know what? If you go through the sequels quickly. Who's the crow in that one? It's the, so it's the guy from the first Resident Evil, the one that gets turned into Nemesis. I can't remember the actor's name. Oh, is he? Yeah, that's him. There's the only thing I recognise him from, because when I was watching Ugly Betty, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> where do I know that guy from? And then I went, oh, Resident Evil. And then I went, that's not where I recognise him from. And I recognise him from The Crow 3. Now, The Crow 3 was kind of like a direct-to-TV. I don't think he got a run that long in a cinema. And I'm going to put it out there. That's the best sequel. It has the more fun. Is it the best one? No, it's ridiculous. But it's different enough. It's not a death... There is a death of a loved one, but it's the idea that he dies. And he comes back immediately to life with the crow. But that film, no one recognises him. So that's the... Uh, Eric Morbius, no? Yeah, uh, Mavis, I think. He's... Mavis. Oh, and William Afton's in it. William Afton is in it. Everyone's in... favourite news anchor <laughs> arsehole. Uh, and Kirsten Dunst is, is, is really good in it. And then, I think Walton Goggins is in it. Walton Goggins is in it, yeah. yeah there you go. Um... Yeah, so so it has big cast, and I think the third one is actually time has been kinder to it because the second one's kind of a remake. It's kind of the, the same Crow story. Salvation, Craig Salvation. But then the one that you're all interested to talk about is Edward Furlong. So City of Angels. <sighs> yeah, which is bad. Salvation, and I quite like Salvation. And then Wicked Prayer. Oh, fuck, I'm not proud of myself. Wicked Prayer. Wicked Prayer. So he's come out of jail. He was in jail because there was a guy who was going to rape someone and he beat them to death. So he went to jail for a long time. She's a, she's a seer in the Native American tribe. But it just so happens that, you know, David Boreanaz, mate, he belongs to a gang and he's got four henchmen and they're called Pestilence. <laughs> There's only three of them. But he's basically, he's a member of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And it's his plan to raise the devil with his wife, Tara Reid. And this is true, mate. They go see a Satanist, Satanist uh, vicar played by... Dennis Hopper. Yeah, Dennis Hopper is in this. <laughs> Who calls him the original G. And basically the end fight is the crow uh, fighting the devil. Yep, that happened. I so want to watch this again. No, you don't. You, this, this, you, this, that makes me think you've never seen it. Oh, I did. I, and I'll tell you where I saw it. It was one of these late night um, on Bravo. Yes. Or TNT. So one of the things they think about this film is they think that we're about to lose the rights to the Crow franchise. Because obviously if you don't make a film every 10 years, it resort, it reverts back to the original creator of the original content. Um, so it would have gone back to, I imagine, the comic book writer. So they must have thrown together this film, a lot like the Hellraiser films. Pull it together so you can keep the license. But if that's the case, they want to put this number of big stars in it. They must have spent a lot of money on the cast list. Do you think? David Boreanaz is cashing the big check. Well, David Tara Bar- Reid's doing loads. Maybe I don't know when was it. When was it? At one point, she was big. This is the one that, that, that is, one uh, week, two thousand five. Yeah, well, maybe. When was American Pie? No, she was done by the stage. <laughs> she, she, she was done. <laughs> David Boreanaz was on his way up though. 
And Ed Furlong, mate, you can't discount his major role as the kid in Terminator 2. That led him to other such roles as American History X, to be fair. That's actually not bad. Yeah. Yeah. What are the other ones? No, that's it. <laughs> that is it. I like the tagline of uh, passion, revenge, paternity. Oh, it's it's, uh, it's really bad. perfume, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the crow. <laughs> Have a wicked prayer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the worst films ever made. And do you know what? One of these days, it would be nice to go and... There is one good thing about it. It's short. <laughs> it's not a long film. But it's it's not good. City of Angels, though, I did... I started that this week. I wanted to go back in... Um... Sarah Sarah's in it, isn't she? She uh, Mandy from 24 plays a grown-up version of Sarah. It's the same character. Yeah, because she retired from acting, didn't she? She did. Which is a shame, because she was fucking awesome as Mandy in 24, but then again, look at what happened to yeah, 24. Yeah, she did there. the L word. I don't remember anything else after that. Vincent Perez played uh, the, the main character in it. But yeah, Tom Jane. Seeing Tom Jane in it, this uh, we watched it, I was like, oh my God. He doesn't do great films. <laughs> he didn't, no. <laughs> he doesn't do any films now, so. Right then, let's, uh, you know, end this podcast properly by recasting so the, the news that next year we could be faced with a new Crow movie reboot which I am in favour of I know some movies you know diehard fans courts will say you know leave the original alone it's perfect I think this is well overdue a reboot don't think he even needs a reboot it doesn't you, because of the nature of it the, cra- the, the, the Crow comes to one person so it could be just this film could exist in that film they don't even have to reference each other mm. it could just be the Crow doesn't even have to reboot. It can be a sequel. It could be its own thing. I, I wouldn't want it to be a sequel because I would. I, I I that's why I want to go reboot. Fair enough. Because I, I think. But do you want to see? I don't want to see the crow in another film as the same actor because it will make sense then. Yeah, but I think it just needs to distance itself from the tragedy in the nineties and, and yeah, all that thing. Give fair it itself its own that. identity. Ooh, um, I can see. Maybe, got... maybe like when Sting joined the NWO, we could have red face paint. Ooh, mate, drop in wrestling knowledge. You didn't, yeah, do, you, do you remember that was when they split into the NWO Elite and the NWO Wolfpack and he joined, the red one was the Wolfpack led by Kevin Nash and he joined them Kevin with Nash. his best he was mate. known as Diesel. Yeah, well, really in the WWF. Do you, yeah. Who was his best mate that he joined the Wolfpack with? Uh, That's right, Lex Luger, mate. Oh, was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Did you remember when you joined the original NWO? What, with Hulk Hogan? He didn't join it, mate. That was the fake, that was the fake, that was the NWO fake sting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Wait, wait. There it is. There's my virginity. <laughs> right, let's recast it's, there's it. There's very few things where I get very excited about that. I actually know more than the first and then weirdly it's wrestling from the 90s. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've i done my usual thing of I've got multiple people for multiple roles. But That's looking fine. At, looking at the main cast of the original Crow movie. So I suppose, who are you casting as Eric Draven or The Crow, the revenge, the anti-hero in your piece? Right, so I've got, <clears throat> mine's a bit different, because I've, I've done a story how I would do it. So I haven't redone it, I've done my own Crow story. Oh. So mine's set during a Victorian, oh, Elizabethan England. Okay, we're going there. So we've got Maisie Williams as Mary. We've got Dev Patel as Julius. I didn't, I didn't know, I'm not good with names. <laughs> we've got Christopher Eccleston as Mary's father. We've got Sir Ian McKellen as John Bonesworth. <laughs> and then, as henchman, I've got, like, Vin Diesel. <laughs> oh, right, okay. So, I've, all right, so, so who's your Avenger? The well, that, who's well, this is what the thing is. The storyline's supposed to, you're supposed to think it's Dev Patel. But it's not, it's going to be Maisie Williams. That's why I'm having a female crow, mate. I mean, something a bit different. Mary's father is selling his company to 
John Bonesworth, and will sit on the board of one of the biggest companies in Elizabethan England. He's very happy. But Bonesworth henchman Dragomir, played by, insert, hunky big actor, uh, basically starts killing Dev. Starts beating him up, roughing him up. But they see when they see Mary with a non-white lover... They kill Julius, but when Mary accidentally stumbles upon she, and the intervenes, she is also murdered. James in that social commentary early. Yeah. Right? When is it a year later? As the crow, she takes on all of the big company. <laughs> she starts getting a re- she starts getting a revenge, but she discovers a dark secret when she takes out the villain John Bonesworth. John Bonesworth didn't order the murder of Dev Patel slash Julius. It was her father who wanted to join Elizabethan thing. And then I've got this really cool idea, mate. Because it's a different era now, she doesn't want to kill her father because she, you know, she loves her father. And what happened was like horrible, so she haunts him for the rest of the movie, like just there, present, and he breaks down mentally. He turns from a, like an action thriller into a psychological meltdown thriller killer, mate. I think Christopher Eccleston would act a shit out of that. Is he making a wooden chair at the same time? <laughs> no, he's not. He's not that villainous. He's he's more. I don't know. Racist. <laughs> if, anyone, if anyone listening got that goddess, well done. Joke, well done. <laughs> uh, so that was that's why I went. I went with like a little darker period piece. I prayed it, mate. If when the franchise has run out of steam, take it to a different fucking time time period, and it fucking works. Wow. So, so, so all I have to do is I've just recast the Crow movie. No, no, you have. But so, you know me, mate. I just do whatever I want. <laughs> so. so I've got Eric Draven for me. Obviously, our parts would would do it. He would. I, I was thinking uh, someone who needs a bit of a momentum in his career. I went Ezra Miller. Yeah, maybe yeah. back around the table with DC. We could get the Flash movie. <sighs> who gives a shit? At this at this stage, I don't care. <laughs> I do. I just I need to see Keaton suit up because also the, oh. rumor, the rumor is that there's a uh, there is a CGI Christopher Reeves in this Flash movie as well. Oh, that makes me want to see it. Actually, to be fair, yeah, I do so kind of want to see that Christopher Reeves Superman. And Do you get Brandon Roth as well? No. Okay. Can't afford that, James. <laughs> I mean, he's making top dollars at fucking Starbucks. <laughs> so I, I Ron Patterson would have worked, but I, 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 similar to you, so I want, I was going to go Anna Diarmas originally. Yes. Um, but then I was thinking Kate Blanchett Heller. Oh. Looked great with that black hair, you know, a bit of aggression. But mm. then I settled on Karen Gillian as my crowd. I'd fucking, I'd, I'd accept that. Yeah. So, um, Yes, actually, yes, I can see that. Young sidekick, the Sarah character. I've gone with Sophie uh, Lillis, who was Beverly Marsh in the It movies. I'd go with some form of talking dog. <laughs> you wouldn't see it coming, would you? <laughs> It'd be the crow, but yeah. you, you'd come for the crow, but you'd stay for the talking dog. <laughs> That'd be the tagline. <laughs> Sergeant uh, Albrecht, who was obviously Ernie Hudson in the original. I've gone, um, I've gone Daniel Kaluuya. Nice, I like that. Um... Top dollar, so my villain, my main villain. Of Difficult, the piece. it's not big shoes to fill. Yeah, so I wanted to put her out of a safe zone. I wanted to put Emily Blunt in there as, as my main villain. But then I thought, actually, Lance Reddick would do it really oh, good. Yes. He's got the voice. He has got the voice. I do want more Lance Reddick and everything. He's got, the, he's got the charisma, the villainous charisma. But then I thought, do you know what? Ooh, how are you topping Lance? Hear me out. Oh, God, I'm not going to like this. Van Damme. You're right, I don't want to hear <laughs> An ageing Van Damme. He's been ageing for a while. He has, actually, yeah. He's been ageing since his time started. <laughs> the problem is I don't understand the scene where they'll make him do the 
like the splits because we know it'll happen. <laughs> it's like, no, that's it's like, how the film starts. James. The film opens to him naked doing the splits, picking up a penny on the floor, <laughs> and then one of his, one of his henchmen goes, "It just bend." <laughs> I'll you, get it for you, you next load time. This. You don't even need to pick it up. <laughs> you don't even need that. Dog. And that's and that's what does him at the end. It's like there's a penny, and he's just like, "I'll get that." He bends down, she, he, fucking Callan just kicks him off the edge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for my main henchman, uh, who in the original was Tony Todd playing Grange, I wanted to go back to Muscles, Danny Bond henchman. So Dave Batista is probably going to win it, or, Dave, or Terry Crews. Dave Batista, Terry Crews, brilliant choices. Or subvert the four, mate. Just go like Danny DeVito. <laughs> just like completely the opposite. Well, I also put John Cena, but what's the point in being in the movie? Because you won't see it. Oh, nice. Oh, um, T-Bird so let's go on to my main four villains and the ones that are going to get the comeuppance T-Bird changed at the last minute for Winston Duke who I've realised any time we've recast I put Winston Duke in it <laughs> you just like seeing Winston Duke die don't you pretty much <laughs> Tintin George McKay Ooh. or McKay depending on how you pronounce it from 1914 do you think he's going to be Bond I think there's a strong chance. I, I think he's the most likely now because when you cast a Bond, you don't want them to be A-lister, but you want them to turn into an A-lister. And I genuinely think we he's got the most potential. Completely will do that. I mean, yeah. it's still obviously, you know. The thing is when you Bond as well, and I'm not going to go with Daniel Craig, you only seem to do Bond. Mm. And I think that's what Daniel Craig really started to hate towards the end that he was just doing Craig. Pierce Brosnan tried to branch out, but when you branch out, he did like the Thomas Crown favor, which was crap. You know, you never seem to get, so he always, when they go A-lister, they always seem to like, no, you can't be A-lister. You've got to be just near A-lister. Mm. I, I, I was reading about this week and I was just thinking, he would be my choice. Yeah, or Riz Marad. When you said that, I was like, if he's not Bond, I'll cry. Riz Marad is, is the number one for me. But, but he'll yeah. be a villain. Maybe McKay will get it, or Mackay. One boy, Ed Scrine. Nice. He's got the face. He's got. He has got the face of a heroin addict. Yeah. But he does also quite look like Michael Massey. He does. Um, yeah. And Skank, T.J. Miller, who who I even put in brackets. I'm not sure if he's been cancelled. I know. I know. There's a lot of controversy around him. But can, he, if you if you're in charge of guests, can I be Skank? You could be Skank, <laughs> or you could be T.J. Miller. No, I think no. I'd rather be Skank. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it's hard in Hollywood now. Like if if you were doing if this was '94, you're not. I f- you're not really going to attract an A-list cast for no. your, you know, like, oh, so so who are you? Oh, you're the guys that, that uh, rape and kill innocent people and then you die oh, as a result of the movie. Please, can I sign up, please? Yeah, you're not really going to cast... Of course you can, Tim Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tim, Tim Robbins is the boss owner, isn't he? He's, he's, he's top dollar. Yeah, he is. No, he's, definitely he's the DA that is in top dollar's pocket. <laughs> that's who Jim Robbins there's is. a scene where the crow goes to him after he's gathered the evidence he's like I don't want to be too rebellious and rumbuctious here's the, here's the thing and then he goes I will do something with this next scene he's on the phone he's like Mr Dollar the, the crow was in it or he goes, he goes oh my god you're right I'm going to phone it in right now and he picks up the phone and he starts talking he goes yes yes we need to arrest him and then the, and and then then the, the crow, crow picks up the phone and he's he goes, like I there's, plugged, no, there's no dial tone. I unplugged it before I walked in the room. Oh, oh I got it. Oh, I write it. And, and you just hear the talking dog in the background going, you got him, crow. <laughs> <laughs> Voiced by Joe Pesci. <laughs> there you go. Coming out of retirement. Sorted. Yeah, Mate, he would, come, he would come back for the crow. I've got a couple of sequel ideas for oh, the podcast. Yeah. Um, one, first one is Crow vs. Punisher. Nice. Because I think that would work. If- it would. If uh, the Eric Draven character was killed in the crossfire, comes back to Kate, take on Frank Castle. That would be cool, actually, yeah. I think that would work really well. Uh, I've got Crow 2, and then brackets, Patriot. 
Crow is a Marine killed overseas and he comes back on the 4th of July, takes out half of the Middle East <laughs> with red, white and blue face paint. Fucking I mean, yes. That would yeah, that would be... Mate, there's people in America right now funding this film. Crow 3. Uh, Crow oh, except for when we call the Crow, mate. It would be called the Crow 2, the Eagle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crow uh, 2, Crucifix Killer. Wrongfully crucified by the Romans, so Ericus Dravidus, <laughs> first of his name, comes back to Tesco and Caesar. Teams up with Jesus. <laughs> Crow 2, payback. Accidentally, st- oh shit, I lost it by this point. Accidentally stowed away on the Titanic. He was never meant to be on board. He comes back to take vengeance on every iceberg. Starts off with the lettuce. It's just, <laughs> just shredded it. Um, the Crow's an awesome movie. Does it go in the vault? I do. You know what? I I think when you look at modern superhero films, when you take a lot of action oh, movies as well, category. you see you wouldn't. But but look at it. So brooding on rooftops, action, especially now with what you get with an action when you get with a superhero an action film. A lot of it, you know, before this, The Crow was one of the first, mate. It was the starter. Taking the whole idea of putting licensed music as well, that that sort of genre, in a sort of superhero-ish esque comic book adaptation. One of the first, and now that's what you do. Yeah, I think it's a forefront. I think it was well, well above its time. Well above its time. Well before its time. It's a great film. It's perfectly compact as well. You don't. You get some great performances from side characters, which, which is always what these let these situations down. And Brandon Lee holds a performance when essentially for the majority of the film he's holding it against a crow that I assume is not on set because crows are notoriously pricks on set and they just don't want to play. Well, it's raven, so. so it was. Oh, that's true. Actually. So you know, yes, I would actually. I would put it. I would put it in the vault. I wouldn't put any of the sequels in though. Oh yeah, that's that's a that's a no brainer. Yeah, in fact, two of them I put in the pit. And I am looking forward to a sequel. I don't think the sequel is going to be brave. I don't think it's going to be hard eighteen. Mm. I don't think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to have the the level of woe and tragedy that this movie encapsulates perfectly. Yeah. You know, in the in in the setup and across the narrative, I I think it will be modern, a modern retelling of it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's got that kind of John Wick superhero esque to it. Um, but I don't I don't think it's gonna replicate the magic of what the of the first one you know, the first one kind of set the bar with. I completely agree with you. I think the first one, Crow nine nine four, above its time dark, took it, you know, its main hero is dead. When you when the film opens, he's he's dead. You know, is it tells you a story that took a lot of chances. It took some risk because there was no nothing before this that you was go, oh, this is a definite, this is a cert. This is definitely gonna make money. Now, you know, like 20, 30 years later, we know it's going to make money. We know there's going to be an audience for it. So it's not a risk. You're right. I completely agree. I think they'll play it safe. Well, that's our show for this week. I've got a quick question for you, though. Oh, yeah. Based on Fewer to Die, what's the what's the pettiest thing you'd come back to rage against? Well, So if that doesn't make any sense to you, this is mine. Because I was thinking about it. I was like, if I died and I was double charged for like my water bill, the crow would bring me back to life so I could spend six hours on old screaming at Mary on the other end of the phone going, no, no, Mary, I'm sorry with face paint and I've died. <laughs> it's a year later, you still double charge me. <laughs> I it's unacceptable. My, mine would be either that time when that pizza shop didn't send my pizza but oh, they charged me for it. So that's a good one. I'd come back to avenge that. <laughs> or the amount of times- To be fair, that did burn down. <laughs> it did. And I, I had an alibi that night. <laughs> October the 30th. <gasps> that was like- I think- or the amount of times I've been at McDonald's for just a McFlurry and the machine's been out. Yeah, that's a good. I'd come back to revenge that. Yeah, I would. That's a good point. 
That's I'd, have to, I'd have to die at the hands of the machine, right? Yeah. The, you go in there, destroy, and you accidentally get swallowed up in the machine. Mm. I die on the phone. Yeah. There you go, the crow. The crow. Really pleasant going back and watching this. It week. was a very good film. It really was pleasant. I really like going back to the 90s at the minute. I know the first series and second series were geared towards the 80s, but mid-90s, there was a lot of gold there. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. you got, you got to dig for it. you got to dig yeah, There's a lot of shit there. That's our show for this week. Let us know what you think about the 1994 movie, The Crow, um, you know, cult classic or... Rubbish. Black and white mess. Yeah. Uh, but I really like it. It's gone in our vault, so it's in the safe haven for the greatest movies of all time. That's a success. If don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye.